hello. Thank you for listening to the Folk Podcast. If you would like to become more involved with the Wisdom of Odin community, please think about donating to Patreon. At the lowest tier, you gain access to our community Discord. Uh, the next tier, you gain access to live streams. And of course, at the final tier, you gain early access videos, as well as your name in the end credits for all Wisdom of Odin videos. Thank you so much for watching, and thank you so much for whatever support you're able to provide. Hello, my name is Jacob, and welcome back to the Folk Podcast, episode 47. We are three away from episode 50, which will be our one-year anniversary. And if we remember correctly, we have to bring back Eric and see how long his beard has grown. But we have an even longer beard today. We have Keenan, or as he's known, the dwarf on his own podcast, the dwarf, Grandma and the Dwarf. Um, so Keenan, go ahead and introduce yourself and just, you know, the floor is yours. Who are you? Why are you here? Well, uh, like Jacob said, I'm, I'm Keenan. Uh, uh, I'd also do a, a podcast with uh, someone else from the community, uh, Grandma, who's actually been on here, Blade. Um, and we just kind of do, our, we're uh, not very organized like you guys. So uh, ours you is think we're more, organized? That's so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> far more than me and Blade. Like we are just like, we just like come up with stuff and we're like, all right, do some notes. All right, cool. Let's talk. And we just sit there and we talk and, and we come across things and just kind of have a good time, you know, two pagans having discussions about stuff. Um, but yeah, so we do that. Um, I've been, let's see, been a Norse pagan for seven years now, I think, roughly seven years. So I've been, I've been doing this for a little while. Um, was a solo practitioner for a long time, joined various groups here and there. Nothing really stuck until I found the wisdom of Odin community and, you know, been around with y'all for longer than any other group I've ever been with. Um, yeah. So other than that, I don't really know. I do so, a lot of dwarf work. Dwarf work. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing that I think is interesting, this is sort of a reunion episode because technically Ian Shirt and Keenan, you guys all met for the first time outside the well, the podcast, obviously, um, for at uh, the fall gathering. Like we were all five at the fall gathering, um, where it's all, like we all kind of met up for the first time. So that's kind of cool because that was also almost a year ago, boys. Oh yeah, it's, it's funny when you bring that up because <laughs> uh, for the fall gathering, Keenan and I were unknowingly like twinning the entire time. Both of us day one rolled up wearing the same. Uh, black t-shirts with a Mjolnir on it from the same company and then our ritual garb shirts were the exact same as well and it was just one of those things like once you brought that up I was like yeah this is this has got to be brought up yeah <laughs> if you watch the, the 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 fall gathering video where the two of us do an interview uh during the gathering you, you'll notice that our shirts are exactly the same Oh my gosh. I don't think I realized that during when I was interviewing you guys. I didn't that's hilarious. We've had that happen a couple times now. The the Kentucky Yule. We had two guys show up and one was like, I have that exact shirt. And then he comes out in like the exact shirt. And I was like, Well, I don't know why this is happening, but uh <laughs> Um, but anyway, so my objective and my master plan for bringing Keenan on here is to talk about a couple different things. As he always already mentioned, uh, dwarves is something we want to talk about. Um, and this is great because I'm reading Lord of the Rings right now. So dwarves are cool. Yeah. And um, 
so we're going to be talking about dwarves a little bit, talking about craft, uh, but also uh, Keenan um, and Caleb Baker here recently were at a gathering uh, that I wasn't at and I, I cry about. Uh, I guess I cry myself to sleep. Um, so we kind of want to, I, I, I mean, honestly, I just want to selfishly hear about this gathering, hear how it went um, and definitely hear Keenan, your perspective. Um, Cause as of today, you, you know, officially have stepped up into the leadership role um, in helping with future gatherings. So, um, you know, I, I definitely want to hear more about like your first experience, what it was like going from, you know, your first time, you know, uh, you know, at the fall gathering, you know, at the wisdom Owen community and now near, you know, basically a year later uh stepping up into that leadership role so um gentlemen whoever wants to start how was the uh midsummer gathering for um our central region it was great went off far better than i'd hoped because <laughs> i was nervous as all get out i was like man i don't know i was like i hope this goes over well it was just kind of like i kept messaging caleb i was like hey hey does this look cool sound good to you he's like like give me the thumbs up thumbs down okay cool we'll go with that and then like hey let's do this um but it, it went off without a hitch despite not having any air conditioning wait there was no air conditioning there two rooms out of the whole household had air Multiple <laughs> window units <laughs> window units yeah i would have been laying down in that room on the floor <laughs> Yeah, I ended up cuddling with Caleb the last night we were there because uh, I wasn't sleeping without air conditioning again. <laughs> I can't, dude. If it's if it's hot, like if I'm sweating, I am not sleeping. I can't do it. It's impossible. Yeah. Well, I hoped it wouldn't be as bad. They were like, well, there's two window units. And so I figured they would be, you know, in the living room and <laughs> in like, you know, the downstairs, you know, one of the bigger bedrooms. But no, it was... They were the rooms were literally right on top of each other. So like one on the bottom floor, and then the one right above it on the second floor was where the air was at, and it was it didn't spread to any of the other parts of the house. Oh. Never mind. I'm glad I didn't go. No, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, even go even though it was set up like that, the house never really did get too hot. Uh, yeah. There was a few. There was a uh, there was one time I can't remember which day it was. One one day in the evening it was pretty sweltering, but other than that it was pretty cool it, it wasn't bad well i remember uh midsummer last year like even though that whole house had air conditioning like everyone was going in and out in and out so much that house was molten but like i mean the last midsummer like you know the first midsummer in the community was hot um like i remember specifically being like in the 90s basically every single day and that house was easily in the 80s as well so it's midsummer you kind of have to expect the heat yeah, it was definitely hot for sure. There was a lot of <laughs> a lot of uh, making sure, hey, you got any ice? You got something to drink? You good? Okay, cool. All right, everybody good? So I think we Just went through sure. with 25 people at the first Midsummer Gathering. I think we went through like 128 water bottles in, three, in two days. Caleb, do you know how many? I know we drank like there. We had the big like water cooler. Uh, I want to say we went like through like two or three of those. Easy. So... I, I never did know how many of those we actually brought. Um, but I know we went through at least two, if not three. And then yeah. numerous pictures of like, someone brought another one that would like, it was like one of like the, the fruit infused ones. that has got like the little canister in the middle. That and it was almost as, stuff. <laughs> it was almost as big as the other one. So hey, that I mean, was I know, water. yeah, it was, it was pretty good. I enjoyed it. 
Uh, so, uh, well, first off, I guess really to both of you, um, what what food did you guys have? What 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 was the main like feast kind of thing? Because I, I I just like knowing all the details. Well, Saturday. just like don't think about it too hard. Just give me like the like the good like give me the good deets. <laughs> he, he only wants to know the food details because he's a hot. <laughs> well, we did we did have pizza rolls at one point. Oh, you they did. Weren't, you they did. weren't they weren't your recipe <sighs> for them though. Uh, Dylan did uh, did pizza rolls, but it was a different recipe. They were good, but but not as they didn't. They, did, they didn't have that that Jacob flair. Okay, good. Yeah. I think they were made with like I think they were made with like croissants instead of like yeah. The they way were you do it. it was really cool. I'll allow it. Um, so Keenan, for you, um, you just did the Thor ritual, right? Yes. How, well, how was? Oh, I did other things outside of, but like main ritual, yeah, just Thor. Yeah. So, how was that for you going into the, the your first uh, your first ritual that you were leading? It, it went well. I uh, I definitely went into it expecting the unexpected, because um, initially I was going to have help, and then my help wasn't able to come. So I ended up having to change the setup of my ritual because I didn't want to have someone else learn Heath's part, and then. So I just like, you know what, I'll fix it myself and I'll just fly it solo in it. And it, it, it went well. I was, I was pleased with it. That's good. So um, what did you end up doing for the, uh, the ritual? Because I, I know you and I had talked about it before um, where we were going to like kind of do almost like a Harvard's the old kind of thing. But like, how did it end up with just being you? Um, well, uh, building up to the ritual, I, uh, I, because I do woodworking, I, uh, I made my own Mjolnir um, and I had been basically using that in my private practice all the way up until um, the gathering. And so every time I would talk to Thor, I would hold that Mjolnir and I would ask him, you know, hey, uh, you know, give me, give me some help, you know, you know, and do this hammer with your, your strength and your guidance so that, that when the gathering comes that I can you know, get through it without getting all tongue-tied and, you know, losing where I'm at. And uh, so when, when the gathering came, uh, that was basically kind of like my, my anchor kind of thing. I, we, we gathered around the fire and, uh, you know, and I invoked Thor. I had been probably invoking Thor for like an hour before the ritual, just getting everything kind of getting the mood set. And uh, as everybody come together, um, just basically invoking him, getting everybody in that mindset, you know, you know, hail Thor, you know, and basically uh, talking about how Thor isn't just the typical strength deity. Um, he also has that father aspect. Um, and there are many, many aspects to Thor, you know, he is, you know, he's a fertility god, he's a uh, god of uh, boasts, he's the god of um, you know, keeping your home kind of to an extent, um, you know, farming and, and I've always seen him kind of as a, a god of smiths too, but some people don't um, and other things like that. Um, and I, I had to thank him for, you know, giving me my daughter because technically I'm not supposed to have kids. Uh, uh, doctor told me it was like, it's like a one in a million shot that I would ever have children. Um, and that was probably eight years ago. And so I just, 
you know, accepted my fate. And uh, one day after me and my wife got married, I decided to see if I could fix that. And I ended up talking to Freyer and Thor. And uh, now I got a beautiful one-year-old daughter. So I definitely brought that up in the ritual uh, as a thanks to him, for sure. Oh, that's awesome, man. I, I didn't even know that either. So that, that's really cool. You brought that into, you know, your own ritual. Um, that's something like I uh, recently did an interview with a uh, seeker of wisdom, Zach, um, who owns, uh, has his own YouTube channel. And we talked about rituals. And that's one of the things we actually talked about is that, you know, every ritual, um, you know, it's going to be different because it's going to reflect whatever stage in your life you're in. And you should always bring your own experiences into your rituals as well, no matter what deity you're speaking with, just because, you know, that's what gives them, you know, life and gives them soul. Otherwise you're just reading from a book and that's not what we're here to do. Um, yeah. So um, I really want to just go ahead and bring this conversation into the dwarves. So Keenan, I want to uh, go ahead and put you on the spot here as I have already done this whole episode. <clears throat> How many dwarves can you name? How many dwarves can I name? Ooh, okay. Let's yep. see. I All have right. the list right here. So um, we'll see how you I do have, There's I like have what, the 80 orig- of them? There's a lot. Uh, the catalog <laughs> names a bunch and then there's even more in the other uh, sagas and tales. Um, so let's see. Uh, the first dwarf was Modsognir. Um, I think he's the he's the Lord of the Dwarves. Um, then the second dwarf was Durin. Of course, that's hard to forget if you like uh, Lord of the Rings. Um, and then, of course, uh, you have North, South, East, West, which is uh, uh, Nordri, uh, Sundri, Austri, and Vestri. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And uh, uh, let's see. Uh, You've honestly made it far further than I expected. <laughs> <laughs> like, I told like, you. Like right, right away, he came off with uh, you know Motsgrenier, and I'm like, like looked, and I was like, holy crap, he was right. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have no faith in the man, did you? I mean, before I, this was a joke. I didn't think this would turn serious. <laughs> no, dude, I told you. Whatever you you suggested before he hopped on, I was like, yeah, he's got I was gonna say we were, we were like, he's the dwarf man. That's what we know. He's like, he's the one who works with the dwarves. Yeah, we had been talking about it. And I was just like, I wonder if he could name every single one. We should put him on the spot and see if he could just do the whole list. I mean, he got oh, the uh, first like <laughs> six. Like, yeah. <laughs> I definitely can't do them all, uh, but I do try. Like, uh, the naming is kind of something I do in rituals because that's something that was done back in back in the older times. Um, was basically naming things, you know, like uh, when you were, you know, when you address a king, you would name his line. And so in that sense, I kind of use that for the dwarves, you know, I'll start with first, you know, and sometimes I'll go from there as far as I can go. Sometimes I will just talk about specific ones, but I try to use kind of as an invocation is an honoring to to the dwarves it kind of helps get their attention uh because most people like you like you assumed they don't know the names of the dwarves most people don't um that's not a thing at least not anymore well i mean you know i like you said lord of the rings i think has definitely helped um you know bring them more into people's mindsets and as much as i have my own critiques of the hobbit movies um again i love the hobbit book i like the hobbit book more than i actually like lord of the rings 
Um, but the Hobbit movies are a different thing. But I, I think that they still move those names into popular culture, even like Feely and Killy, you know, Oakenshield, and even like Gandalf is the name of a dwarf, you know. So yeah. like, yeah. Um, so the interesting thing about the historical side, which always I like to make sure people understand, you know, from what we know from the written source material and any artifacts um, that we may have, is that we really don't know that much about the dwarves, even though they have their own realm. And they are important players in certain aspects, but, you know, our knowledge of them and definitely our knowledge of them as far as like veneration, you know, religiously is basically nothing. So is there anything that you can add to that conversation that, you know, that's just like most people don't remember or something like that? Okay. So (laughs) something that, you know, going into working with dwarves, I, uh, I, you know, I'm Cherokee. Of course it's been brought up before. Um, we have our version of dwarves here in the Appalachians. Um, and they're really similar. You know, they're small bearded people uh, that live in the mountains up here in Appalachia. Uh, and the Cherokee honored them, you know, uh, whenever they would go in caves, they would leave gifts to them. Um, and even um, I've been, looking up this, I found this story, okay, this, this is a good one, so all the way up until 1950, there's a village in northern Siberia, okay, and I've been trying to find more research about this story, but this, basically, this boy was writing down the stories that his grandmother told him, um, about these little people that live in the mountains north of Siberia. And they would literally come down from the mountains to this town in Siberia and would trade like once, once a year or like every, or like every six months. And uh, like, this is like a real thing. Like it's like, you know, written down and they called these people, you know, like a version of, it's similar, similar to the old Norse translation of Dverger or, uh, or the old English with Dwerger. Um, and I can't remember the translation. It's more, it's like got like a Russian twist to it. But they would offer to these beings as like safety when they would go into the wilderness. Um, even all the way up, you know, this is like 19, I think 1950, I think is when they said the dwarves stopped coming. Um, and so, it's crazy to me that, you know, dwarves have a, you know, such a presence all the way across the world, you know, even over here in Appalachia in America, all the way over to across the ocean to Scandinavia and even into uh, Russia, you know, crazy that all these people have these stories, you know, even in Iceland, you have the Hilda folk, um, some people say that are kind of, you know, some of the characteristics are like dwarves. Um, and so I think dwarves are kind of a big deal. And I mean, that's, you know, I'm, I'm a little biased because I I like them, but, uh, I think they had far more of a purpose back then for all these different people to have, you know, them in their cultures and then write them down and talk about them. Uh, I I think it's amazing in my opinion. I feel like I feel like a lot of older or ancient cultures and older cultures really venerated dwarves as an as like 
as a as a people's because I feel like we were so much more connected to the things that we actually crafted, you know. And nowadays, everything for the most part is cookie cutter, you know, assembly line pieces being made by machines and stuff like that. And dwarves, I mean, I'm sure across all cultures, dwarves or gnomes or something of that aspect, they are all known for being craftsmen and taking pride in their crafting and the things that they that they put out and that they give to people that they make. I mean, you have the stories, you know, with with uh, obviously with Mjolnir being made, you have Sis Golden Hair, things like that. Like they took pride in what they made. And I feel like that's kind of where we start to lose a little bit of that that connection to the dwarves as a whole in our modern era because most of the things are just you know a belt fed factory strip usually done by robots now at this point if you look at like car factories and stuff like that so i'm, I'm almost not surprised like when you were saying like 1950 you know is when they kind of stopped showing up for this <laughs> tribe in siberia if you look at it, I mean, around that time period is when a lot of the industrial stuff really took off. And so I feel like maybe that could be a, a reason why, is throwing my own theory out there, is just we've kind of strayed away from crafting things by hand with, you know, and putting that pride of being a craftsman into it. Now we just, you know, have robots that essentially do it for us. Yeah, yeah, that makes, I mean, that makes perfect sense. I mean, we no longer, we're not connected to the materials we use anymore. It's, it's all synthetic. You know, we use a lot of plastic. We use a lot of um, these man-made materials that, that you don't, you know, you don't go out and get it. You know, like when I, like I do crafting um, and I will go out and I'll cut down the tree that we use sometimes for whatever I'm making. And so that has more meaning behind it because I had to go get it. It wasn't, you know, I didn't, you know, do do Amazon, you know, send me this and then it shows up, you know, it was like I had to take my, you know, get my butt up, go out, find the tree, cut it down, take it back to the house, you know, cut it to a smaller piece, then do whatever I needed to do with it. And then that takes time. And sometimes it takes, you know, multiple days, sometimes weeks. And, and it's actually, you know, you have pride in what it is. Like you said, you know, we had more, you know, we appreciated it more, you know, now you just phone call away, you know, they bring you something the next day. It's like, oh, here you go. And it's like, oh, thanks, man. But that just, there's no connection at all anymore. One of the interesting things that are, is again, universally human, like we're talking about, you know, people from all around the world that have an interest in, you know, these crafting, you know, bearded people that might live in the earth and stuff like that. Like there's these rumors and stories and myths all around the world, uh, but there's also this unified love of anything shiny. Like, mm -hmm. you know, people everywhere on this planet, no matter what culture you grew up in. I mean, really besides, I mean, I guess you could be, maybe say the native Americans, but even they had different values placed on different objects. Um, but, you know, like gems, rubies, sapphires, uh, you know, diamonds when they were found, gold, silver, all these things, you know, humans, no matter where they came from, looked at and said, this is valuable. 
And so I think, you know, when you start putting so much value onto these, you know, these materials we find in our planet, you know, there is a presence to them. So I think, you know, where I guess, you know, maybe I should ask you, Kenan, do you think there's a, you know, a tie to the doors when it comes to these, like uh, these raw earth, you know, minerals and stuff? Oh, of course, of course. Um, even when I, when I attempt to communicate with them, um, which doesn't always go over well, everybody who's always ever talked to me, I'm like, if you try to talk to them, they're it might take a couple tries because they're not a god you know it's it's not like talking to thor you know i could go out talk to thor right now and more than likely he's going to show up be like hey man you know uh i'm here for you you know big daddy thor but the dwarves on the other hand they're like "Eh, i might want to talk to you what else you got you know kind of thing like they're it's 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 a very materialistic thing, I guess, dealing with the dwarves because, um, like me myself, I will use uh, you know gems or uh, crystals or something that I've found while out on uh, hiking or whatever I may do, or um, sometimes I will order unrefined metal and I will refine it and I will use it and give it to the dwarves. Um, and that always seems to kind of get them pique their interest when when you do that because it's it's that whole mentality of good materials, you know. And they're like, "Oh, what you got there, buddy?" You know, like like what do you, what are you making? And then then you can kind of like start to work with the dwarves, and they and they slowly start coming around more more often as as we're probably at start, they probably won't come around very often, to be honest. But yes, materials are very important. Uh, definitely like raw, uh, raw metal or ore, uh, crystals, uh, gold even. Um, and and sometimes I, I have to bite the bullet and give them uh, whatever I got. Uh, and, you know, just burn it up right there in the fire and just walk away. Um, and and, you know, that's something you have to be willing to do if you want to work with them. Uh, they're a little greedy. <laughs> so, you know, we know you talk about like Thor, like typically the reasons people talk to Thor are, you know, just you know, strength, you know, honor, courage, family, these things, very tangible things. But when it comes to the dwarves, you know, what, what gives you purpose to actually reach out to them or, you know, anyone listening, what would encourage them to be like, well, if you're having this kind of situation, maybe then yes, reach out to the dwarves, but maybe not necessarily like a casual relationship. It sounds like. Right. Yeah, no, it's definitely not a, uh, a uh, casual relationship it's not just something you wake up one day and you're like you know what i'm going to talk to the dwarves it's not it's not that kind of thing it's uh like uh because i do like my crafting you know me and dad we work with horns and wood and um you know basically any kind of material that we can get a hold of um that we can make nice things from i figured i was like well let me talk to the dwarves and it it takes a lot of effort it's, you know, like I said, it's, it's far more working. So, I mean, if you're, if you're just wanting to talk to them, you're probably not going to get a whole lot out of them. Um, really, it has to be that intent um, to make something beautiful is what I've always found. Um, because, like, uh, I made a shield for you, Jacob. Uh, and that, that shield... shield 
Yeah. And so uh, that shield itself, I did a ritual to the dwarves as well as Odin um, before, you know, with the materials before I finished it. Um, and so in doing so, it was kind of like, you know, hey, um, I'm making this and this is, you know, part of this is, you know, everything I'm I'm a part of is going into this piece. And I need I need that little bit of extra guidance or that little bit of spark, you know, a little bit of magic. Um, you know, I know, you know, kind of basically boasting on them because they love it. They eat it up. You know, it's like, oh, great craftsman, you know, uh, give me your great wisdom, your guidance, your guiding hand. Show me how you would have done it. And then the I guess the creative juices just kind of start flowing when you know they they're there. And so you'll come up with these off the wall ideas. Sometimes I can't even like, I'm just like, uh, well, that's a great idea, but I am not skilled enough to do that. So like, I'm going to have to hold on to that for a little bit and do that again some other time because they are what they are. They're the greatest crafters of all time. And it, you definitely have to have that something for them to want to help you like that something that that appeals to them i say do you like because i know you also made a shield for me i need to pick up still um like what other just out of curiosity for everybody else that's like listening because i know you mentioned you do horns and stuff like that what other kind of things do you primarily focus on as far as crafting goes crafting it's just what feels right it's something that really helps um, helps me with my day-to-day. -day. I work a lot. I work a factory job. I work in a steel box all night long because I work night shift. Um, and so to have something to project on when you're not doing your constant work that you're doing all the time, um, it's like therapy. You know, it's like the greatest therapy you could ever have. And and especially for pagans, like I encourage anybody who's listening to this right now that doesn't make their own stuff, try it. I mean, it may not work out the first couple of times. It's going to happen. But eventually you'll understand that, that the meaning of you crafting your own things is very, very important in it. And it becomes, um, it's part of you. You know, and when you give something that you've crafted to somebody, they understand and they'll feel that you put part of yourself into that craft. Um, and it's, it's just a great feeling. I, I enjoy it. It's, it's the best therapy ever. I can't remember if it was um, Nick Offerman himself or Ron Swanson in Parks and Rec. Um, but regardless, he talks about, you know, building a table for your kids. And he's like, if you, I build this table for me, it's a crappy coffee table, but it's built by me and it lasts. It might not look great, but it's going to last. And I know that my great, great grandkids are going to look at that damn table and think my great, great grandfather built that ugly table, but it will still be there. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I mean, you can, I mean, we can make things better than any machine can. I don't care what modern technology and culture tells you what you can do is far more than any machine can ever do. And it just takes, it takes time. It takes effort. Well, and kind of what Ian was saying with like, you know, 
the dwarves leaving when factories came into play. Um, you know, it's like the soul left, you know, when you have something that's built in a factory or made in a factory, basically anything, you know, the soul's gone. And so, you know, why would the dwarves stick around for soulless work? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's almost meaningless at that point. Um, like when, when, when you get something from someone that made it, you could feel the energy of that item. Um, even if you're like completely energy illiterate and you don't understand how that works, you're still going to under, you're still going to have a better feeling from holding that item in your hand. And you're going to be like, wow, you know, this was made by hand for me as where, you know, wow, that was made by a machine that poured something into a mold. And now I have it. Well, I think how many people go bonkers for the Amish country in the United States they're like, wow, they handmade it. <laughs> all the time, all the time. I mean, I, I granted, I go to the Amish market myself because we have one, like, not even 30 minutes down the road. I, I love their bread. It's the greatest thing on oh, earth. The Amish know how to make <laughs> cheese, let me tell you. Like, one time I had a chocolate cheese. Like, I didn't even think that was possible. And now I'm addicted. But now we're talking about food again. Um <laughs> So Baker's shirt, do you guys have anything for Keenan and talking about dwarves? You guys have been kind of quiet. So I want to make sure I bring you into this conversation. I just wanted to go back to like Keenan, where you're talking about how to like get the doors to work with you. It sounded like you're talking to a tradesman, you know, like, what do you have to offer me so I can help you? Um, would that be a great way to kind of look at things and approach for people trying to figure out exactly how to get the doors to come work with them? To an extent, yeah. Um, I've always referred, like, when I tell people, um, you know, like, how, how the dwarves are. It's like that old tradesman, you know. It's the guy who's worked at that trade for, like, 10, 10 20 years. You know, he's been there for forever. You know, everybody calls him the old man. And he's very sarcastic. He's bitter. You know, he's just an angry old man, you know. And that's, that's the dwarves, you know. And so you have to, like, warm up to him, you know. It's like, hey, hey, old man. Hey, I brought you some coffee, you know, uh, I hope you're doing good today. And then you just kind of like walk away, you know, kind of thing. And <laughs> eventually the old man's like, you know what? I like that guy. He's, <laughs> he's good peoples, you know, but yeah, it's, it's definitely that, that kind of uh, relationship, you know, you, you have to basically bribe him or bribe the dwarves into like, you know, being in a relationship with you. Um, because if they're not getting anything out of it, they're like, eh, well, whatever, you know, I'm not working with him. He's, he's not getting anything out of it. What the fuck are you doing? My wife's home. <laughs> Let me uh, write that down real quick. <laughs> Keenan's wife decides to say hello. <laughs> She's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Why do you look like you were in a bodega? So... Uh, this goes back earlier, earlier on to when we were first started uh, speaking about dwarves. Um, they are probably the they're probably one of the most, if not the most, uh, recognizable or thought to be known um, figures from North mythology, aside from like Fenrir, Jormungandr, uh, a couple other people like that. But I think that everybody gets everybody whenever they think of dwarves, they have comes to mind as like the uh, the Tolkien dwarves from Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit series uh, and like D&D &D, stuff like that but where uh, where are the differences um, between 
what would be like the pop culture dwarf and the true ones be? Well, <laughs> that's a really hard question because from what we know, dwarf, Tolkien kind of nailed it. I mean, to be honest, I mean, he did a really good job of representing the dwarves. Now, granted, I'd never heard of dwarf women. Uh, so I don't know if there are any women. <laughs> as, as Again, how would you tell if they had beards? Yeah. So like I've only ever seen or heard of men, um, they, you know, the son of so-and-so or, uh, you know, the we know that all the men the dwarves who created Freya's necklace, um, they, you know, did the deed with her uh, to, so she could have the necklace. Uh, I would assume they were men. I mean, it could have been women, I guess. Um, yeah, uh, Tolkien pretty much got it right. Um, I think the only difference is, is they're seen as more, as like dirtier um, kind of beings because um, the, you know, in some of the sagas they're referred to as black elves or dark elves, and it is due to, from what we could tell, is from the dirt that is on their skin. Um, so they're kind of dirty, um, not as, they're not as well kept up. You know, Gimli, he was like, you know, oh, I'm, I'm somebody, you know, kind of thing in like Lord of the Rings or Thor, and you know, I'm the great king you know, kind of thing. And, you know, he's always well-kept, but I think some of the dwarves, because they're, they're, they're just craftsmen. They're not this great regal thing that like Tolkien kind of made them. He's more of, they're more of, you know, the dirty, um, uh, like the, the forger, you know, guys covered in soot, you know, covered in dirt all the time. It's, uh, so it's not as they're not as glamorized, I guess, would be in real life. Um, and he, of course, Tolkien did the same thing with the elves as well. Um, but yeah, they're, I mean, it's pretty, pretty similar, you know, small men, big beards, you know, they, they make nice things. And it's, and it's relatively, you know, relatively close. It does talk about an army. Uh, some of the dwarves have armies and it, and it says at Ragnarok, you know, they stand beating on the doors. Um, basically preparing for the war. Um, and so, I mean, when it comes to that, I think, I think Tolkien did a pretty, pretty good job with uh, sticking to what the mythology says. So where does all this misconception, like, do you, you know, like this whole, I mean, I think God of War is the best example of it because they downright have both examples in there because they have, you know, um, you know, the two, the two dwarves, Brock and Atri, um, mm -hmm. you know, who look, fairly dwarfish, you know, kind of small people with beards. And then they also have the dark elves at the same time. And so it's right. like, it was kind of weird. I was like, wait a second, like either do one or the other. Cause I've definitely seen the, you know, I'd almost call it the uh, Skyrim influence or the like elder scrolls influence is that the Dwimmer are just elves. And so, but yet they're still dwarves. They're like it's called dwarven armor. Yet the Dwimmer were, you know, just really just elves. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know really where the distinction started happening. Where all of a sudden some people thought that the dwarves were more elvish, and then some, you know, still stuck to the the, the bearded short people. Yeah. Well, it's 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 a it's a it's really confusing when it comes to the old texts because you have stories where they're blatantly talking about a dwarf you know they describe him he's a bearded short guy that makes things 
but they call him Dark Elf. They don't call him a dwarf. And so there's been this perpetual, like, misinformation that's yeah. always kind of because we don't have enough written about him. You know, we, we have some, we have more than what we do about the elves, uh, about the dwarves, but we don't, we don't, we still don't have enough to really, you know, narrow it down be like, well, this is why this is messed up or, you know, why we're confused. Um, I mean, and I, I tell people that they're the same. Elves and dwarves are the same. I, I think they're kind of different races of the same or you know of the same type of being i guess um elves are just a little nicer you know more naturey and the dwarves are the dark that you know live in rocks and live underground and, and they're they're like the dirtier you know cousins of the elves um even one of the dwarves in the catalog of the dwarves in the bullspa is his name i have it written down because this is a harder one um <laughs> where is it at uh, oh man i lost it i mean it's it, it's it's one of those confusing things you know just like uh like we were talking about the you know the the whole elf dwarf dichotomy thing that goes on we don't you know it's hard to differentiate they could be the same thing Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, and I think that's one of the things for people when they first come into this, especially people that come in from the pop culture thing is, you know, they really have troubles, you know, picturing what they would actually look like. Um, but, you know, something I always encourage people to to do on this path as well is like what they actually look like is really not that important. It's really the mm -hmm. essence and what you're connecting with, which is important. Um now, because like, again, you know, you were kind of talking about like Iceland, like Iceland's really big on like they call them like the little people or the little folk or the hidden ones. Um, and they're typically referring to, you know, mischievous elves that also live on Iceland. Um, and so it's like one of those things. It's like, well, what kind of elves are they talking about? You know, you could beat your head up against all, you know, the wall all day. Are they referring to Alfheim elves or Svartalfheim elves? Elves. But at the end of the day, they're referring to a mischievous race of people that spiritually live on an island. You know, and I think that's what's really important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're definitely just spirits. I mean, to put it in the easiest way, they're they're spirits of crafting and and stone and and just, you know, good old hearty hard work. Um, and, you know, that's probably the easiest way to describe them. That's that's what they are. They're spirits of good hearty work and and of uh, of the ground and what's underneath it. So any more questions on the dwarves boys? Otherwise we can kind of move more into like the craft based questions and, you know, really the, the end of the episode. Or Keenan, anything else you want to mention about the dwarves you think people should know on their, you know, introductory uh, introduction into the elves i mean like really uh the only thing we really haven't mentioned is like the individual crafts they've made like obviously they are in charge of a lot of the you know famous objects within the mythology uh such as mjolnir uh you know drought near uh you know uh you know brzingaman uh even like the you know, wars. um and also like fin uh, fenrir's chains were also made by the dwarves as well mm -hmm. yeah even freyr's boat that he yeah. holds up sticks in his pocket. Uh, the boar, the golden boar, golem bursty, was also created by the dwarves. Uh, Sif's hair. Um, so all the cool stuff was really made by the dwarves. Uh, um, 
it's 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 pretty cool. I like I, that's Ooh. I think that's why I like them so much. <clears throat> One question that I have because you know if you look at the different tales and stuff like that, you have the dwarf uh, that debates with Thor when they're sitting at Thor's table when he goes ask for Thor's daughter's hand, and then you have the dwarves that go. Uh, bring the gifts to Odin and them after Floki's mischievous uh, Loki, nature. Loki, Vikings now? No, I meant Loki. <laughs> I don't know why I said Loki. Um, what's, do you know the key differences in the different types of dwarves? Because we know that the uh, smart, smart dwarf or whatever his name is, smart, Allwise. I don't remember his Allwise. We know he tears a stone, but the other dwarves seem unfazed by the sun. Yeah. Um, that's just one of those things where we don't know. I mean, I would assume uh, that because they're spirits and they're they're seen in this like, you know, like an elven spirit kind of thing, um, that I would assume that trolls could also be thrown into that because a lot of times trolls are seen as something that turns to stone in the daylight, but then in other stories they don't. And so it's kind of that same thing. You know, you have dwarves that come to Asgard during the day, deliver gifts, and nothing happens to them, you know. But yet you have this one dwarf who comes, and at the end, when morning comes, because he's talked to Thor so long, uh, he turns to stone. And so it's like, well, he might be some other kind of dwarf, maybe? But well, yeah, and, and really it's wants. one of those things where it's like Tolkien took that as like, oh, well, that meant troll. You know, that's what he took right. it as. Um, and, you know, I think that's what most people picture when it comes to that story. And I remember reading Alva's Mouth for the first time and going, oh, that's where that comes from. And even um, like, you know, where I was freaking out about finding out about the the ring story, like the origin of the one ring story in the prose mm-hmm. that is from a dwarf, is a dwarf that is in a, a cave that Loki steals the ring from. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, the also there's a I don't know where the the story originates, but it's the story of Wayland, the Smith. Um, he is said to be a dwarf, and he forges a bunch of rings for his wife, and his wife ends up dying. Oh yeah, it's a whole long whole long story. He ends up getting captured and everything, um, and used by a king. But that story is in, I want to say it's in the original, like, Codex Regis or something like that that's in it. Um, But I think it stems from Germany, I believe. Um, But it talks about him, and he's he's almost seen almost like a normal person. If they didn't say he was a dwarf, you wouldn't know kind of thing. which is which I think is very interesting. If you've never read that story, look it up. It's a great it's a great read. Definitely a good story. So one thing I was thinking about in the pop culture we didn't bring up um, is something I'm actually not I don't hate so much about Marvel is I actually enjoy their depiction of the dwarves except for the fact that he was massive. That was weird for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was like so. Wait, you got you got a, a person. You got Peter Dinklage who was actually a dwarf to play a dwarf and then made him giant. And I'm very confused. Um, but at the same time, I really enjoyed their depiction of what the dwarves would have 
been like in a weird mythological future sense, you know, where it's like, oh, they exist on a space station around a dwarf star or whatever. And they use the power of the dwarf star to fuel their, you know, their craft and things like that. And they're like these crafters of the universe. Um, and I kind of enjoyed that because obviously we read stories from like more of the fantasy perspective, the, you know, the old world perspective. Uh, but, you know, one of the things I always like to enjoy thinking about is like, you know, what if that's just how, you know, our ancestors could describe it because they had no other way to. So, you know, having the dwarves be these kind of like crafters of the universe, building planets and things like that. It's definitely more of the sci-fi take of it, but still like a fun thing that I, I like to think about the dwarves as is these these people that are laying the building blocks of really of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and that also gives... Uh, gives credence to north, south, east, and west. And it talks about the dwarves hold the world in place. And, you know, if, if you think about a dwarf, a dwarf's a small, you know, small guy, mm -hmm. you know, but these small, these four small dwarves hold the world or the, hold the sky in place, depending on the text. Um, and that, and it's just like, wow, you know, how powerful all are these, are these things? If, if, you know, they're seen as little, you know, they even have a, uh, a term from olden times, uh, it was a uh, very good alk vexed, and it means you're little like a dwarf. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, you know, they're small, but yet they're they're very powerful at the same time, and that's a that's a good way to look at it. You know, they they can manipulate something as vast as as like a galaxy. You know. Yeah, and that's always like, you know, that I think mean, that's a conversation for a different day, like a, a deeper conversation in the sense of, you know, what to what scale is the mythology? Are we only referring to the deities in the sense of our planet or do our deities affect things outside the planet? You know, and that's definitely, you know, because I think there's ways to impose the, you know, the mythos on just Midgard on just us. I think there's a way to look at it in the, the worldview of the solar system. I mean, we have nine celestial bodies in our solar system, nine realms, and they line up pretty darn good if you actually start plugging things together. Or are we talking about a galaxy? Do the gods move across the galaxy? Do they move across the universe? And this is definitely when you start moving outside the questions of, you know, there's no yes or no answer. There's no right answer. Uh, but it's an interesting, like, mind map of how everything kind of puts together and each and each things like the dwarves have different roles based on what size you see everything as so yeah, just one yeah. thing i just want to i just want to tack on to that is like it makes sense for them to be so powerful and to have the uh the abilities that you, that you both are talking about even in the when we're going to get into this big cosmic thing because they were they they're one of the oldest things that have been in existence if you go by the uh like the creation story. I don't know what else. I can't think of what else to call it right now, off the top of my head. But the but they were literally birthed out of Ymir. I think if I remember right, they came out of his body like maggots, right? Mm -hmm. And so they've been they've been around since basically the dawn of time. Yeah. So they're they're definitely old. No, but they're not as old as the gods though. So, but well, yet the I, gods still still look to them to make things. You know. Well, then again, you know, we bring it back to the celestials perspective. Like I always see Ymir as like a planetoid, you know, that's how I've always envisioned him is, you know, like an ice giant planetoid that came in contact with, you know, earth as it was forming in the magma stage, you know, in my, again, my science fiction mind. And so like the <laughs> idea of like the dwarves writhing out of, you know, Ymir's flesh, 
you know, again, that makes the, you know, begs the question of what if they were, you know, a species that were on inside the planet, you know, like we're inside of it. And then when it cracked open, you know, they came out of it like wiggling like maggots. And again, it's hard to say, like, it's hard to say if that's true, but that's like, get how my mind is picturing it. Hmm. Pretty, pretty interesting. Um, I like it. So, Keenan, uh, last thing I want to really, you know, talk about here is the crafting aspect of it. Um, like we've already kind of covered like the religious side of your craft and whatnot. Um, but like really, you know, what is it like experiencing, you know, things like blacksmithing, things like wood carving, um, you know, and making idols for the gods or the shields, um, you know, from a spiritual perspective? It's, it's like euphoric, I guess, is the best way to put it, because when you go into it with this such intent behind it, it's not like, you know, you're sitting in the backyard making something for your papa, you know, it still means something, but when you're actually trying to put such intent behind it, because it's very important, you know, because, you know, your spirituality and your religion is held to such a standard in your life, it makes it's, it's just like a full experience that just, you feel it course through your whole body. Um, like, especially if I make things for my own personal altar, or if someone else asks me to make something uh, that they're going to use in their practice, it's, it has that much more meaning. And so when you go to make that item, you can feel it, you know, because you can feel your energy that you're putting into it. And most of the time, if it's in the right mindset, the god or goddess or being that you are trying to invoke for that item, for that person, will also help. And you'll feel that energy from them as well. And so it's, it becomes this big, you know, big like hodgepodge, this flow of energy because you're giving yours the, the, the deity is giving theirs and you can also, you know, have that intent from the person that you're making it for. Um, and sometimes you come together and it just makes something beautiful and you would not think, you know, just looking at it, you know, it's just, it's a wooden idol, but then you touch it or you get near it and you're like, wow, like, what is, what did you do? Like, <laughs> what did you do to that thing? And it's like, well, I only did so much. Really, it was what it became. It's like a conduit for all that energy, and uh, and it changes completely how the how the item works. So I'm sure we're going to get questions from people. Um, so do you actually sell what you make, or is it more of just like a hobby that you sometimes? I mean, obviously you've gifted you know you know something to me um, and other people in the community. So, but um, you know, I mean, people are going to be curious for sure. Yeah. Um, right now, I've I've only just kind of done stuff for the community and for like people I know. Um, I am working on a shop, um, but I do have people that hit me up on Instagram on a regular basis and ask me for stuff like, hey, could you make this for me? And I'm okay with that. You know, that doesn't bother me at all. You know, um, as long as I have the, the time to do it for you, you know, I don't want to, I don't want you to have to wait, you know, months and months at a time if I'm, you know, my schedule doesn't prevent me, uh, prevents me from doing it. Um, but yeah, um, basically, if, if you know, if you're, until my shop, until I'm actually able to get a concrete, like probably an Etsy store that I'm hoping to get done, 
Um, really, it's just if, if there's something that you really feel that, you know, off of what uh, I post all my crafts on Instagram. And so normally someone will see something. They'll be like, hey, can I can I have something that's kind of like that? And I'll be like, sure. What do you want? You know, kind of thing. Um, and, it, and, it, and it always means more, you know, because it's it's handmade kind of thing. You know, you're not ordering it off Amazon like we talked about before. Um, you know, I, I hand make, me and my dad do it together. We, we do everything, you know, the horns, when they're drinking horns, they come in, they're raw. So we got to clean them and they stink. And, I mean, they're the most like, if you've never smelled raw horn or horn like dust, it is the most God awful smell <laughs> that you have ever smelled in your life. Like it just, it's just death and you can't get it off of you. Um, so like, but it, it just, it just means that much more. Uh, and I, and I appreciate anybody who wants, you know, wants me to make something for them. It, uh, it, you know, it makes me, uh, feel like I'm doing something right, you know? And where can they find you on Instagram? Uh, Instagram, my Instagram name is Keenan underscore longsword. I recently changed it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, don't change it again for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, it's uh, it's Keenan underscore Longsword. So um, I think I'm good where I'm at with that name for now. <laughs> good. I'll definitely leave that down below for everyone. Um, but gentlemen, do we have any final questions for Keenan? Otherwise, we can probably go ahead and start wrapping up this episode. I just want to let Keenan know on like the crafting, if you figure out the Orlog set, bro, you're golden. <laughs> you're golden. That's got to be like your first item on Etsy. Because everybody that listens to this has probably played Assassin's Creed Valhalla. They've probably played that mini game. And that mini game is really fun. If you could figure out how to do that, like you'd be golden. I'll hey. have to get on it. <laughs> Warlog is no Gwent, is all I'm saying. Gwent, I had a <laughs> special kind of addiction to. Um, <laughs> Well, anyways, everyone, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. And Keenan, thank you again for being on here. Um, so make sure you follow him um, and send him a message if you want to have anything crafted. I've seen the craft. The craft is literally sitting on my mantelpiece at my house. Um, the shields are absolutely amazing, um, but obviously he's a busy man. So please be respectful of his time. Uh, but I do hope that you do consider him for your crafting needs because he is a dwarf, basically. I've met him. He's basically a dwarf. Um, and uh, he has the ability to grow a beard like nobody else. I mean, didn't you say you could like shave and it like becomes a full beard again in like a week or something like that it's uh, i think I, I shaved like six months before my wedding and i had a five inch beard when i got married oh my gosh that's crazy I'm so <laughs> I mean, yeah like wh why do you think i've been fussing with my beard this whole episode i'm like god it's so instant insignificant like uh, i got this dude over here it looks like he's got like a mountain on his chin <laughs> Well, anyways, thank you again, folks, so much. Uh, make sure to give him a follow. Thank you, Keenan, for being on here. Um, and I hope you're all excited for the road to episode 50. This has been episode 47. And we were actually talking about this. We need more people messaging, uh, emailing the podcast with uh, subjects because we've been doing this 50 episodes nearly now. And we've talked about a lot of things. So if you want to help us out, please send us an email at thefolkpodcast at gmail.com and tell us what you would like us to talk about or if you would like to be on the show like Keenan. Otherwise, thank you again and until the hall. Skull. Oh. oh. oh.